Well, we have come today to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to finish the chapter. And as we do that today, some of the people that we see in this chapter are people who were willing to fight for what they believed in. And so as I thought about that and I thought about Veterans Day coming up this week, I thought what better time to thank God and to thank you for those of you who have been willing to fight for our freedoms and for what we believe in. And so can I just ask that if you're a veteran here with us this morning, would you either stand up or raise your hand or or some show so that we can just say thank you? Thank you. Thank you. That's so meaningful to us because we often take it for granted, but the fact that we're here this morning that we get to do things like this and and take God's word and dig into it and do that with freedom and do that with joy and do that together is because of so many who have protected that freedom for us. So I'd like to just take a moment to pray and thank God for them as well. And for all of these examples we've seen from the centuries past of people who were faithful as we dive into our text today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good to us. You are faithful. Lord, we know even as we read these examples of faith, you know, their faith is meaningless unless you are faithful. And so we thank you for your promises. We thank you for keeping them. Lord, we thank you for the veterans, not only who are here with us today, but all over our country. We thank you for the the sacrifice and the time and the effort that they have put into protecting the freedoms that we celebrate and that we give you thanks for. And Lord, we thank you for the examples that you've given us in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm just asking by your Holy Spirit, that as we dig into your word today, whatever you would speak to each of our hearts, that we would listen, that we would hear you, and that we would be able to live by faith. We'll ask that in Jesus' name, by your Spirit's power. Amen. So go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're taking on verses 30 through 40 today. And what you'll notice in these verses, what we've kind of been doing over the last couple of weeks is kind of taking a flyby of the Old Testament to see how all of these examples demonstrate faith. Which you may not always pick up on as we look into their individual stories, since they all happened before Christ, is that he's really staying on the same thing that he built for the 10 chapters before this, that the whole thing was about Jesus the whole time. And there are other places in the New Testament that will talk about how Abel's blood as a righteous man reflects Jesus and We saw a little bit last week how Abraham's offering of Isaac, that the father was willing to offer up his only begotten son whom he loved. That even the suffering that Moses went through to lead his people out of slavery and into freedom was a shadow of who Jesus Christ was going to be. And so you guys over the last few weeks have become experts in something called biblical theology which is the idea that the entire Bible is telling one concrete story through all these lives of different people centered around Jesus Christ. And so today, that theme continues. Because what's happened now is, at least according to the page numbers in my copy of the Bible, I know it's probably a little different for all of us, but over the last few weeks, we have covered almost 200 pages of the Old Testament. Is that impressive? Great job, everybody. Today, just today, we're covering 650 more pages. (laughs) These last 10 verses, he like rapid fires through the rest of the entire Old Testament. 
So, we'll choose our moments to dig deep, but I'm just going to own up front, we're not going to cover everything. So here's my encouragement to you. Go read the Bible. <laughs> I'm telling you, you will love it. And the stories in there, your, your list might be different than the one that he makes when you start to pick out the characters that you resonate with, the people whose stories stand out to you. I'm just going to count on you to go get more of the details on your own as you continue through your journey with God. But we're going to start in Hebrews 11, verse 30 today. And it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. So we all know what that is, right? That's familiar. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But notice two things. There is no mention of Joshua. But I love Joshua. Like one of my kids, his middle name is Joshua, and Joshua is why? No mention of Joshua. The hero of the story is not even in the story. Instead, it describes how they, the people of God, walked around the city. So think about this. Compared to Hebrews 3, in Hebrews 3, it said that the people of God wandered in the wilderness because they did not walk into the promised land by faith. Because they were not willing to move forward in faith, they ended up stuck in the wilderness. But now, under Joshua's leadership, they've come into the promised land, and he tells them, walk around Jericho. That's how we'll win. Walk around. And yet, by faith... The walls were encircled for seven days. They walked around Jericho by faith. And if you remember that story, it's on the seventh day, they walk around seven times, and at the end, they shout, they blow trumpets, and the walls of Jericho collapse. So really, Joshua never fought the battle of Jericho. God did. And it's in Jericho that they meet the woman that's mentioned in the next verse. It says in verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And so her story is that she's living in Jericho. She lives in the wall of the city that would be around the outside of the city, this massive wall. So when Israel sends in spies, and they're in Jericho, and the people of Jericho are trying to hunt them down, and they come to this woman's door, and she says, you can hide up on the roof, and she protects them, and she saves them, and because of that, they don't die. And then they have this amazing conversation with her, where she basically tells them, I believe in your God, and so when you guys defeat our city, will you save me and my family? But the subtext is what really gets you here. Because notice, it is the harlot, Rahab. And I think um, Bible translators like that word because since we almost never use it, it doesn't sound as offensive. But Rahab, first of all, is not even Jewish. So what is she doing in our list of Hebrews chapter 11? On top of that, like, let's be blunt, she's a prostitute. This is a hooker. Oh, we don't, can't say those things. Can't put the, let's say a harlot. She was a harlot. Like, can you imagine listening to a woman tell her story, and she starts her story like that, and you start feeling uncomfortable, and I know God can work with anybody, but I don't really like listening to this. Hey, Rahab, the harlot, by faith. What? Well, check this out. By faith, she did not perish with those who did not believe. You see, what it's saying is Rahab did believe. Why? Faith. So what happened? She didn't perish. 
It's so straightforward. Do you hear how much that sounds like John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. I mean, this is the gospel in a nutshell in Rahab's life. Somebody who had made whatever mistakes you want to add to their list. Somebody who had faced sexual sin. Somebody who now stood before God and said, I believe him. And that's why she doesn't perish. In fact, instead, it refers to peace. You see, what I think this passage is offering for you and I is that it is by faith that we move from perishing to peace. Now, can I tell you, if you are a Christ follower in this room this morning, if you have trusted Christ as your forgiver, that the death he died on the cross that we're going to celebrate a little bit later paid your penalty for sin, that his resurrection gives you new life, then you have already done this. You have already moved from perishing to peace. That is like a one-time thing when you realize that the God of the universe is your father, that he forgives you through the death of his son and gives you peace everlasting, not just for this moment, but for eternity. If you're here this morning, and that sounds like, I don't know if I've ever been that clear about it. Well, then here's your chance. <laughs> by faith, not by good works, not by actions, not by proving something, not by asking God for one more chance, not by getting one more chance and then needing one more chance after that, by faith. And I love how Rahab puts this in her own words. Because if you do flip back to Joshua chapter 2, when she's speaking to the spies, this is basically her faith statement. She says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord and deliver our lives from death. See, what I love about this statement is Rahab has never seen God. She's never heard his voice. She's never witnessed a miracle. And she's lived in a culture that wants nothing to do with Yahweh. When you see capital L-O-R-D, that is the name Yahweh. And her life would seem like she has nothing to do with it either. And yet, in this moment, what does she say? I've heard these testimonies, right? I've heard things that God has done, and I believe it. You might go back to the beginning of chapter 11 and realize that she's believing in things that to her were unseen. But she believed there was evidence behind it, and she put her confidence in that. And don't you love the two examples that she gives? I mean, the first one, the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now that one we're really familiar with, right? It's when they come out of Egypt, God parts the waters, there's two walls of water, and they walk through like it is a highway through the sea. Then Pharaoh tries to follow him, the water comes back in, and all of God's people are saved. Like that, we put that one in movies, right? That's a big one. Look at her other example. Her second example, and... Every bit as convincing to Rahab, you guys defeated Sihon and Og. 
who? <laughs> well, here's what I love about Sihon and Og. Og is actually a giant. So when you hear Christ's followers, you hear Christians, we sing songs and we talk about facing our giants and we talk about overcoming giants and there's giants in the land and all these kinds of things. A lot of the times I'm thinking either like vaguely of giants in the land because we knew that was kind of a thing or Goliath, right? Goliath, that's the, the world's most famous giant, right? Okay, good for him. That's true. He was nine or 10 feet tall. Og is over 13 feet tall. You want to talk giants? In fact, I love this. I never knew this. The name Goliath appears only six times in the entire Old Testament, and most of them are 1 Samuel 17, when David fights Goliath. The name Og, 22 times in the Old Testament. Sihon, the guy he's paired with here, 37 times in the Old Testament. Why do I not know about these guys? Like, if you see me standing here and you would have to add four feet to get to Goliath, you would have to add like another four to get to Og. And they, these two guys are repeated throughout the Old Testament. Like if you ever wonder if God is powerful, and if you ever look at something standing in front of you and think, oh no, what if I can't overcome this? I mean, 13 feet is pretty tall, but 13 feet, I mean, God created the universe, which is infinitely expanding. I mean, 13 feet is just not that big. God defeated Sihon and Og. He can handle it. So the reason I give you just, just a little extra deep dive on that is because I've got a treat for you guys because some of you have been asking, what's after Hebrews? What are we doing after Hebrews? Well, after Hebrews and after Christmas, when we get to the new year, we are going to be studying the book where you first meet Sihon and Og. We're doing numbers. You guys are not as spiritual as the 830. They didn't groan at all. <laughs> so here's why I wanted to tell you this, because I love this. I read through numbers earlier this year as I was trying to go through chronologically and totally had this like, Dear God, um, today I start numbers. Is it cool with you if I just read it as fast as I can and get it all over with in one day? <laughs> you know? Because don't we always think of that as like, oh my word, that is the one that's just, it's like so many names and so many numbers and it's like a phone book. And I, I've read numbers before and I still like sort of thought that's what it was. And when you get there, yeah, there's a couple sections where it does a big list of names. And a couple of those were going to take in big chunks so you can see what was the overarching purpose. Why did God list all these names and what's the pattern that he's showing you? But that's like the minority of the book. The rest of the book is loaded. Like, guys, the drama and the characters and the stuff in numbers that is carried through the rest of the Old Testament. Like, you will understand the Psalms better. You will understand the New Testament better. I, even having read it before, I was shocked. So... That's all I'm telling you for right now because we still have like 550 more pages of the Old Testament to get through. <laughs> but I just tell you that so that you can get a little bit excited. And so when you hear your friend groan, you can tell him, oh, wait, hold on a second. We're going to meet Sihon and Og. Just you wait till numbers. <laughs> but today we got to keep going. We're going to go into Judges. All right, because basically our last few weeks we covered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now we just covered Joshua. And next Hebrews brings us to the book of Judges which he covers like all in one verse. Verse 32 of chapter 11, he says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So basically what he does here is he looks at his watch. 
He looks at his little inkwell and he realizes, I'm running out. He just gives us a list of names, which I know in this service, like we want the deep dive, like tell me about every one of them. I can't go read it, but we'll pick a couple. We want to highlight a couple of things here. Because David and Samuel we're relatively familiar with. And in fact, if you want to dig more into their lives, we did a series last year through 1 Samuel. So you can grab the Horizon Space CC app, jump on our website. We've got a whole list of messages all the way through 1 Samuel. You can get to know about him and about David. Well, Gideon, yeah, I hear of Gideon from time to time. By faith, Gideon? Because Gideon, let me see if I can track this back. So God says, Gideon... I need you to go and fight for me. And Gideon says, um, not unless you give me a miracle to prove that you really mean it. Man, what a paragon of faith. Isn't that amazing? And then God gives him a miracle. And he says, I just am going to, God, I'm going to need like another miracle, like the opposite miracle. Can we do that with the fleece? Man, that's the guy I want to be like. You too, right? It's interesting, isn't it? By faith. Gideon. Hey, I'm running out of time, but I got to include Gideon. I got to at least put his name down here is what Hebrews 11 is saying. And so when God asks Gideon to fight the Midianites, eventually he does after all of this kind of waffling and can you give me a sign and, and you're waiting for God to do the lightning bolt and instead God says, okay, here's your sign. Now come on, let's do this. Or what about Samson? Samson's supposed to fight the Philistines. I mean, Samson is a guy who from a very early age is set aside for God's work. He's meant to serve God. He's meant to love God. He's meant to worship God. But he gives in to, like if we use common day words, like alcoholism, substance abuse, sexual sin, anger. Like there is no comfort of the world that Samson can't go all into that completely sidetracks him from what he's supposed to be doing. But man, he has got to make the list because you know Samson by faith well, not Delilah, but by faith, not that thing at the wedding. By faith, though, not that dead lion. And yet, as he sat in prison and wondered to himself, could I still serve God? Could he still use me? Samson had a moment of faith. What about these other two, Barak and Jephthah? Well, now, these are interesting stories because if you go back to the book of Judges, you find the chapter about Barak and you look it up, in that chapter, in my Bible, the heading on the chapter about Barak is Deborah. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because Deborah was the judge over Israel at the time. Now, God comes to Barak and says, Barak, you need to fight the Canaanites. And Barak says, Not unless Deborah goes with me. Isn't that inspirational? What a man of faith. What in the world is he doing in this list, (laughs) right? And what you see in that chapter is that Deborah kind of looks at him like, okay, but just so you know, the victory today will not be for your glory. And I kind of love about his faith that he's almost like, that's okay. You know what? That's okay. Let's just do what what God brought us here to do. I feel better going with somebody else. It's kind of an imperfect faith. And yet it was faith. 
And I got I to gotta spare the details. I'm sorry, I got to spare the details. But if you go back to that chapter, there's another woman named Jael who is actually the one who ends up defeating the enemy king through this crazy set of circumstances. And so you would come to Hebrews and you would think, by faith, Deborah, by faith, Jael. But I think that's some of what Hebrews 11 is doing here. Oh, yeah, we know they had faith. Did you know Barak's faith counts too? Or what about Jephthah? We mentioned that Rahab was a harlot. Jephthah was the son of a harlot. We know who his dad is. We don't know who his mom is. And his entire family cast him out because of that. And so whatever you think is in your childhood, in your background, that has set you up for failure, like Jephthah had it. And yet God calls Jephthah to battle against the Ammonites and their false gods. And by faith, he follows through. And yet most people, when they think of Jephthah, if they've read his story, what they think of is a rash vow. Because Jephthah is the one who on the battlefield said, God, if you just let me win this battle, when I get home, whatever comes out of my house, I will offer it up to you. And when he gets home, the first thing out of his house is his daughter. And it says he offered her up to the Lord. So if I just give you like 20 seconds on explanation of that passage, the vow was a mistake. And so there's some piece of him that's trying to obey God because he knows God takes vows seriously and so I better follow through with it. Guys, two wrongs don't make a right. So my best understanding of that passage is breaking the vow would have been sin, but he should have repented of that sin instead of following through with whatever it was that happened to his daughter. And, and either way, certainly we are never talking about Jephthah again. Oh, look at what the Barak and Samson and Jephthah. So I can just tell you honestly, like when I, when I read this chapter, having been through a lot of the Old Testament again this year, like I had like a visceral reaction to people that don't belong in this chapter. Where are the real examples that I can go back and look at? Yeah, I want to be more like that. But here's what I think is so powerful about this. He could have said Deborah. He could have picked any number of the judges. But he put these people here. And I think in part, it's because they're imperfect. It's because they've made mistakes. And yet, God looks at their faith. See, what that helps me with is, I think the second thing that Hebrews is giving us here, that by faith, you can see yourself in God's story. Right, that if this only had examples of perfect people of whom we had no record of mistakes, you and I would read the chapter and say, uh, well, maybe that's... Maybe I don't belong here. I mean, I could never be in Hebrews chapter 11. They got like all these guys. I mean, they, these ladies are amazing. Instead, he gives us all these extremely relatable people who've made all the same mistakes as all of you and me, right? As all of us. And I think as he's looking at his Hebrew audience, he doesn't want anything in their stories to make them think that they could be held back from serving God. In fact, as I think about my own life, I've, I've had seasons in my life where I think, I don't, I don't know enough to serve God. How, how could I help a friend through faith when I still have questions and so I better just kind of hang back. You know, and then a mentor in my life tells me, well, yeah, but it says the disciples were uneducated and they're out there preaching the gospel and God's adding to the, the number daily. Okay, all right, I hear you. you know, then you have times where it's like, but I feel a little bit afraid and I'm not sure. And like, what if I mess up? And 
Well, Gideon was a little bit afraid too. And there's, there's more. He's not the only one, so you can't really let that hold you back. Okay, all right, I got you. You know, then I hit this season in my life where, you know, I kind of hit this wall with like behaviors, mindsets um, that were totally out of line with God that I knew and hadn't dealt with, and I finally dealt with them. And it's so healing, and the forgiveness is so good, and yet that's often the moment that we start to focus so much on everything I've done wrong. It starts to haunt us, starts to make us, and it made me believe, maybe that's it. Maybe he can't use me anymore. And I had a mentor, my dad, my wife, keep bringing me these people from the Bible. Yeah, but what about Paul? Think about the nightmares Paul must have had about the things that he did against Christ before becoming a Christ follower. I mean, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, how painful that was to keep remembering, and yet he knows by God's grace he serves God. By God's grace, his story is still part of God's story. But guys, I'm really good at fighting back on that stuff, at least internally. Yeah, but Paul wasn't a Christian yet when he did those things. Bet he never sinned again after that. I don't know. All right, and then people say, well, what about Peter? What about David? What about some of the examples that we see right in this chapter? And what about a guy like Gideon? You see, I think part of what this chapter does for me, and I hope what it does for you too, is that the enemy who would use accusation against you has no authority here. The enemy who would say, well, not Barak, you know what he did? Well, not Jephthah, you know what he did? Well, not Samson, you know what he did? Well, not David, you know what he did? Well, not Gideon, you know what he did? And God would say, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also David. As the uh, theologian John Calvin put it, this, this is really helpful to me. I don't agree with everything that um, John Calvin teaches, but he had this quote in his commentary from Hebrews chapter 11 where he says that there was none of them whose faith did not falter. In every saint, there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, you realize whether it is anger, whether it is sexual sin, whether it is doubt, like, there's nothing here that's going to disqualify you from God's love, from serving God, from God's grace, from being called a man or a woman who lived by faith. In fact, he goes on in verse 33 to continue to add to this list. And this is so cheating, but he just says, and the prophets, which is like the whole rest of the Old Testament in three words with no detail. And he gives a few examples that we think probably connect there as he goes through this. He says, And the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's probably Daniel, right? Quenched the violence of fire. That might be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. That could be Jeremiah. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That has to be Will Smith because I saw that movie. Good, you're still paying attention. That's good. I'm proud of you. Okay, aliens just meaning strangers from another land, right? And then it says women received their dead raised to life again. Probably referring to the widow of Zarephath 
and the Shunammite woman with Elijah and Elisha, both of whom received their sons back to life. You get what's happening here? By faith, they all saw miracles happen. So if you're not seeing miracles, you must not have faith. Okay, did you believe me right there? That was dangerous, wasn't it? That's not the sound clip you get to pull from this message because you have to keep reading. Look at what he says next. Still others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Guys, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Their faith was too good for this world. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You see, the reason that I think he puts all of this back to back is because his audience was facing persecution right then. And instead of wondering if God had abandoned them, he wants them to see that there are times that in this world you win the victory. You overcome the king. You know, whatever it is that happens in all of those stories, you make it through the fire and the lion's mouths are closed. But there are times in this world when you face the persecution, when you are arrested, when some of them were even killed. You see, our faith is not focused on my blessing or my circumstances working out in the temporal. You notice it says they've focused on a better resurrection. Because we just heard these two widows had their sons raised to life. That's a physical resurrection. He's saying the resurrection they knew was that even if they didn't maintain their physical life, they had a better resurrection to eternal life. And that is what Hebrews has been pitching for the last 11 chapters. That everything you've known in the history of the world is a copy and shadow of something in eternity past. And everything that Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection for us is because he wants to secure your eternity future through a resurrection life that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so as we see these examples, we see that by faith, they were willing to experience miracles and to face suffering. So here's an encouragement for you. By faith, focus on a better resurrection. No matter what the circumstances of this world are, by faith, focus on a better resurrection, which sometimes is hard for us living in Cincinnati, Ohio, USA. I like it here. This is a pretty nice place. It's easy, like, if every day is garbage, then I'm like, at least someday I'll go to heaven. At least I know he has promises in store for me. When every day feels kind of good, it's easy to be distracted from that eternal focus just by the comforts and entertainments around us. And sometimes it's bad things, but sometimes it's just good things. And I heard a story at a conference a few months ago that just, just kind, of, kind of rocked my brain on this because there's a guy named Dan Bowman. And obviously the fact that I'm hearing at a conference makes, means he makes it through the story I'm about to tell you. But a few years ago, he went on a missions trip to share his faith about Jesus Christ in Iran. Two-week trip. But if you know anything about Iran, they are not friendly toward the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And so he ends up arrested for sharing his faith. And over the next couple of days, they pin him with two 
death sentences. One of them for this, one of them on trumped up, you know, other false charges. And he spent nine weeks in an Iranian prison. No way to contact his family. No knowing if he would ever get out of here. Fully expecting to be shot at the end of his trial. And he talked about his time in prison. What it was like to suddenly feel like he understood all of this persecution that Jesus was talking about. That if they hated, you know, if they hate you, they hated me first and all these things. And so we started thinking like, first Lord, like did I do something wrong? Are you mad at me? Is this a consequence? And after he was able to kind of dismiss that, he's like, no, I, I know you forgive me, Lord, for the things in my life and I'm trying to serve you. And well, then he said, okay, then how are you going to use this, Lord? And he starts thinking about Paul and he's like, ah, angels. Angels are going to break the door open. I'll, I'll get out like Peter or... No way, Paul didn't get out though. The, the jailer, I'm going to lead the jailer to Christ. And so he builds a friendship with the prison guard who comes to his door every day and brings him sugar cubes so he can build little towers to keep himself from going insane. Well, that prison guard never came to Christ as far as he knows. And so now as he looks back on that season, he describes that the thing he thinks he may have learned most is that God loves him. That as he would sit in his cell trying to think of all the ways this could work out and the way maybe it'll go or praying for this miracle and that miracle, he felt like God kept telling him, would you just relax for a minute and think about how much I love you? And so for the weeks that he sat in prison, he began to spend every morning thinking about how if I never get out of here, it's okay because I have a better resurrection from a God who loves me. And he would just meditate on the ways that God had loved him. Things like Jesus going to the cross for him. And as I'm listening to this story, I'm like, I know he got out, but I cannot even imagine what it's like to sit in that place. And just kind of wondered to myself, like, reality is we'll probably never experience something like Dan did. The reality is that there are different estimates, but somewhere between four to 10,000 people every year are killed specifically for believing that Jesus Christ is their forgiver, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we feel really pretty far removed from that. Like we know that's in the news cycle sometimes, but it's not really us, right? Is that what it takes? Or is it possible that even today, if you don't face any physical harm for Christ, can you still pick up this book and say, I want to focus on a better resurrection today. I want the choices I make today to be based on who Jesus is. Because I'll tell you what, as I read these things, I think about how... how Almost silly, I feel sometimes, and not as a guilt trip, but just to kind of own it. When, like, I see my neighbor across the street, you know, the one I've been praying about, and I've been asking the Lord for an opportunity to reconnect with him because it's been a while since I've seen him, and I'm, I've, we've been talking about God things, and I'm trying to kind of share my faith here, and he came to Ken Kington once, and oh, and he's there right now, and I just happen to see him. But Lord, somebody has to empty the dishwasher because if I don't, you know, the kids certainly didn't, and what did I just back down from? Slightly awkward conversation, like I can't. Prison I could do, I'd be bold for Christ. Awkward conversation, though, I don't know if that's really my thing. Okay, what if I'm focused on a better resurrection, and what if I want that for my neighbor, too? So if I had to take all of Hebrews 11, what he's been telling us about faith, and try to boil it down to, like, one sentence, I might put it this way. Take confident action in response to God and his promises. 
If what he is saying is true, how will I live it today? And, you know, I think over the last few years, I think in decades past, I think about, like, even just right here, like the, the place that we're sitting today worshiping God together. You know, the families that started Horizon, I don't, I don't even know, my, my timeline's probably off, but like 20 years ago, maybe a little more. And I don't even know who all of them are. So, like, if you're sitting in this room today or watching this online, can I just say thank you? That by faith, there were families in Cincinnati who said, we have got to build a place where we can go on mission to help our friends and neighbors meet Christ. Like that my neighbor had a connecting guys group like a Ken Kington thing to come to because people 20 years ago who didn't know me and certainly didn't know my neighbor because neither of us were in Cincinnati at the time, stepped out by faith. That as we sit here today, who's going to be here 20 years from now if Jesus hasn't come back yet? Who's going to be in this room that actually is down the hallway right now? And maybe they don't even know how to talk yet. (laughs) And so I would wonder, and I would encourage you, where is God using you? Where are you serving him? Because if you're a Christ follower, his spirit has given you gifts to serve the church, to serve the kingdom, and to serve the world around us. In fact, if you look at all of these examples through the generations of people passing their faith on, stories we still tell, if you've ever had it on your heart to serve in our 0 to 18 ministry, we need followers of Christ who want to pass their faith on down that opposite hallway with those kids. Because sometimes it's just something that it's, it's easy, but it makes a big impact, like the giving tree you saw on your way in. Surrounded with opportunities to show generosity to our own community. Sometimes it's an investment in a person like that. Because we want to be a place where we can look back and say, hey, I wasn't perfect. My faith was incomplete. I had mistakes too. But it's by faith I taught those kids. It's by faith I started getting together with those guys in a Bible study. It's by faith that I shared this with my spouse, with my kids. And maybe it's thinking about who is a neighbor or a friend that you know they don't know Christ that you're praying for right now. Because the way he wraps this up in the last two verses, he says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Not that they won't be made perfect, but that it's with us because it's the thing they were waiting for. They died before they ever saw Jesus. He is the something better that the whole thing has been about the whole time. So right now, I'd encourage you, go ahead and grab those elements that you picked up on the way in. I want you to watch a video that our creative team found that just perfectly summarizes everything that Hebrews 11 has been walking us through. So use that time to reflect on Jesus to get your stuff open and then we'll do communion together. Let's watch. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story Every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. 
There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. He is our true and better high priest, our true and better sacrifice, our true and better hope. And that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, it tells us in Matthew 26 that as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat together. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, as we hear these examples from people who believed you before you were even here, we may have some of the same things that we want to ask your forgiveness for, for our anger, for our sexual sin, for our doubt, for our frustration. 
Lord, in this moment, we give those things to you and we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, as we've taken this bread and we have drank this cup, we do it with thanksgiving in our hearts that you are the true and better King of kings, Lord of lords. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.